Daddy, you're a naughty boy. These days, fatherhood is everywhere. You can't get away from it. Not that blokes haven't tried. If you're not a father, you've got a father. You're a son of a dad or a daughter of a bloke. But either way, being a dad is no picnic. The fear, the anger, the confusion and, well, the love, of course. (laughs) Derek Myers and Dan Lee, together with their special guests, are here to share the highs and lows, the joys and the agony of being a modern dad. But most of all, to let you know that you're not alone. This is uh, Hang On To Your Hat. Brooms, broom series, I'm calling it, um, and I'm here with James Brown. Hey, James, how you doing? Good. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Hey, and now, so this isn't an interview. Don't feel like I'm going to grill you. For yeah, me. yeah. This is more just an a opportunity, chat. a chat, and an opportunity to kind of uh, vent or <laughs> to the world. I don't know what you're talking and about, then- <laughs> Dan. My, my life is perfect, and um, and so are my children. We're here to talk about perfect <laughs> yes. children, aren't we? Perfect. And if you've got any three step processes for perfected. It's, Child rearing. It's so easy, really. Um, mm. they're, they're, I don't know why people uh, struggle with it because, you know, like I say, my kids are perfect. They're, they'll be perfect and um, life is wonderful, right? Yeah, yeah. And as long as we keep this myth going. Mm. Yeah. Then, uh, see, but that's the thing. I think that's what we're trying to do with this is is there's – you just sometimes want to know that you're not alone. And uh, when my brother – I've said this a million times when my brother was saying how he saw us. Sometimes if he sees someone just fucking snap in the supermarket and, and, and lose it at their kid, he finds himself smiling. <laughs> and, and it's just because he's, there's this wave of relief that, that you know, this frustration is, is normal yeah. and everyone gets it. Look, I think, I think that's also um, uh, compounded by that, um, I suppose, the new sort of social movement of uh, everyone judging people on their parenting skills and what's right. expected and not expected. That's that whole kind of slap controversy, right? Right. Remember when that sort of came into force, you know, yeah. probably in the last sort of 10 or ten years or so. Mm. And so now even if you were to sort of really, you know, look at your child in a nasty way in a public Shit. place, it's almost like a, you know, a mental slap and, you know, yeah. you're sort of going straight to hell, right? Yeah. And so I think people are also carrying all this kind of this burden, new burden of kind of, you know, public awareness around these things where, you yeah. know, when, when I was growing up, I, you know, probably the same as you, mm. if you stepped out of line, you just got it, you got a clip around the ears and you right. went, right, okay, yeah, got the, that. The um, old clip around the ear. Carry on. I don't know, maybe, did you or did you not? Well, I can't remember. Mm. <laughs> so it can't have been good or bad. Well, I don't know. It's, it's, I know we got the threat of it. Yeah. And we certainly got, there was, look, I had a really interesting conversation with Richard Bradley about this and how, when you feel, mm, it's very controversial, mm, and and very. and <clears throat> there's an argument to be made that non-abusive, um, sort of the, the the slap that shocks and and stops them in their tracks, may be less damaging if it allows you to just move on without sort of emotional stuff than than a father who feels like they've got that they don't know what to do and they start behaving in a way that's more psychologically da- damaging and like you said looking at them with what's worse looking at them with hatred and going why are you destroying my yeah. life mm. or just going that stops now mm. um now we can get on with our day you yeah. know like it, it doesn't have to be cruel and awful and oh i can't believe it. this we're talking about this already let's move on i don't even i don't even know what the look we don't we don't hit 
the kids, but I'm not. I'm not just out of hand opposed to it. It's because it's all the guys that I've talked, like Richard. It's it's not as simple as just shut them up, get them out of the way. No, it, no. We, we it, all love them. We're all trying. And look, it's all, and it's not about it's not about whether or not you hit or not. Yeah, it's about the constant dilemma as a parent of mm. of how do you actually you know how do you communicate effectively and and try and and create some kind of boundary or some type of lesson out of it and right. and that's I mean that's what I struggle with I, I assume probably most people do yeah and we don't hit our kids of course we don't hit our kids and I don't, I don't even think my parents did either exactly as you said it was more about the the threat of you know I mean it's yeah. like right if you don't do this I'm going to stop the car and you're going to get thrown <laughs> out you know I mean, I we used to drive between here and Perth kind of once a year for a while and that's like you know two and a half thousand kilometers in an old red Ford yeah. right with yeah. no electronics or anything and just my sister and myself in the back seat and we would fight i reckon for two thousand kilometers of that two and a half thousand kilometer journey and and, and to the point where my parents would kind of load the esky between us and then some yes. cushions on top of that and they'd try and create this physical battle. and we'd still manage to wind each other up and them yeah. through this kind of thing and and you know it was that whole yeah. right you're out yeah yeah oh. and then they put you out of the car. yeah yeah, I, yeah. I, look i have new respect for them <laughs> but to do to do two thousand kilometers without iPads and shit and just this rabble in the oh, back, insane. And did you, I remember the back of my dad's head? Because <laughs> you just he'd go, or, or no, he'd, he'd put the brakes on. Just the brakes would suddenly go on, and then he wouldn't say anything. I'd just see the back of his head, and he'd be like, you, and you'd be imagining mm, his face mm, or what's mm. going on inside his yeah. skull. Oh my! And then. On occasion, he would put us out. Mm-hmm. He'd put he'd put one or both of us out, and then drive off, mm-hmm. and then drive back, yeah. obviously. And but, man, we we have we, we're in a position these days where we have to think more about it than they did in the seventies. Yeah, you know, and we're we've got all that pressure of other parents. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, it was almost the same area where you could destroy your kids in the back of the wagon or even the back of the Ute and drive around, right? Mm-hmm. And and so it was just a more relaxed. Smoke in the car with the windows All up. All of that. I yeah. remember complaining. Can we just have a window down? <laughs> <laughs> just, just some air. Actually, I don't know if – I know there was smoking in the car, but I think they did wind the window down. I remember. It's funnier if I accused them of – Well, my parents didn't smoke, but I remember going to rowing training in Perth as a border with one of my day boy mates and his parents smoking. It was like a freaking Dutch oven on the way to <laughs> rowing training. And I was just thinking, what is going on here, you know? like. And your little brain's going, when I'm an adult, I'm not doing this to my kids and that's why we're in this problem we are today. You know? It was very odd. Yeah, yeah. It was very odd. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. And now, obviously, with you know social media and being kind of so much more connected to uh, – to these new platforms, we're, we're all under so much more scrutiny or at least perception of scrutiny. You know, we, we, we try and kind of constantly improve our abilities to parent. But, you know, the short no form, The short form nature of that stuff worries me because <clears throat> when you're dealing with even Facebook but things like Twitter where you've got a limited amount of time to express everything yeah. about yourself, you you can go, all right, I can either... It forces people to just go to the edges and the extremes. So they have to just say, tell everyone how wonderful they are. There's no room for to talk about the nuance of it. Mm-hmm. Or you have people who make a kind of joke about how dysfunctional they are. Mm. There's no sort of in-between. Mm. Um, we're, we're losing the middle, which, yeah. which podcasting is filling in a bit because it's often long form and people yeah. get to sort of 
figure out some ideas, you know. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, yeah. Um, I actually listened to an ABC interview uh, in the car only a few days ago with uh, it's John Marsden, isn't it? Yes, yes. And he's got a new book he's out. He's got at a the new moment. book out. Yeah, mm. and um, he, in, in the interview, uh, it was quite interesting because the more I listened to it, it's about that what you're talking about that kind of long form. You know, it, he just makes so much sense yeah. when he's just building this argument and this position. And in the end, I was like, "Oh wow, I actually have to go and read that book." Yeah, uh, because yeah. he's he's bringing you back to to how uh, you know a child or particular age groups uh, emotional and mental development works again, and it's so mm. difficult. Even though you've been through it and you remember parts of it, it's so difficult as a parent to actually put yourself back in that position. Mm. You'd sort of know it, but at the same time, you, it's to reconnect. It's like there is a divide mentally, you know. And you watch—I mean, I, you know—I've got kids at different ages, and they're all so damn different. But I watch my four-year-old now, who's nearly five, and the imagination that she has, and and this kind of play that she does now, and she mm. can she can just sit in a in a crowded room, and she's just totally involved in her own imagination she's got characters going she's she's talking loudly but there's no one else involved it's just her in her own headspace you know mm. and like it's one of the most beautiful things as a parent to watch your child go go through that phase when you know you can kind of remember it mm. And you remember how wonderful that is, and you know you're just getting totally lost in this sort of in this in this play, and then trying to parent again through that as well. You know, you're like, wow. You know, often I think we try and parent or communicate to our kids like they're thinking like we do, right? Mm. Like, why would you do that? I know. That's I mean, you God, you come on. You know, like stop doing that. It's so silly, and it's like that's the thing I don't want to. I, I really don't want to. It's so hard. Do and too much of that. And it's hard. It's, uh, my personal experience is it's harder with more kids as well, right? And so you get that kind of first, classic first kid uh, where, you know, you put so much focus and, and, and thought and effort into this one little being, mm. uh, probably to the detriment. You ruin the first one. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then <laughs> the second one comes along and there's kind of this sort of natural balance, natural order to it all because suddenly you're uh, you're dragged in a couple of different directions. Right. Then you throw a third one in the mix and then you start to feel like things are really starting to slip through the gaps because now you're sort of like, it's like juggling two balls versus three, right? Who yeah, can do yeah. that? And, uh, and whew, now there'll be a fourth one, Dan. Yeah, that's what I hear. You're having – I mean – I just mm. though there's an argument to be made that once you've had three or four, you you may as well just it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, like one. To be to honest, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think those arguments are absolute bullshit <laughs> that we all dream up to try and make ourselves yeah, feel yeah. good. Hey, what does it matter? You know, like one, after you have two, it doesn't matter. Have ten. Um, but no, it's um, Derek was oh. he he was saying that maybe people cope when they have five or six because. Five or six is enough to just make you give up completely mm. on your on yourself and your own mm. life. Whereas one or two, you can still think that you yeah. have some relevance yeah. in the world. Yeah, um, and you still got trying to hold on. Oh yeah. God, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think the one thing that we've got going in our favour is that they're they're well spread. So the oldest is going to be uh, nearly fourteen. Oh wow, approaching really? Approaching fourteen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, right now we've got a thirteen-year-old. An eleven-year-old, 
a four, nearly five-year-old, and then of course the, uh, the the next one coming in another couple of months. So, and we we kind of we've idolised some of our other friends as you do, mm. uh, and one particular couple. Uh, obviously, I live on a pearl farm, two hundred kilometres north of Broome, in the middle of the bush, and um, and Which these we'll guys talk about in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and so we live in a, a very unusual place, uh, but these guys live at the other polar opposite end of the of the state and there and he's actually a shark fisherman from uh, right. augusta right right and they live in the and they have this beautiful house in the forest down there and and they live the, uh, what is con- considered to be a relatively kind of alternative style of life right mm. and so their annual holiday and it has been for 30 years is that they pack their their kids in their their old you know four-wheel drive and they come up to the kimberley right. and inevitably they they come and camp on our property because they were mates with one of our managers, right? So I, I met these guys first when I was probably in my teens, right? And um, and they'd already had a child or two. And they've had five kids. And there is, I think, 24 years between their oldest and their youngest, right? Wow. Yeah, which is unusual because normally when you've got kids that spread out, it's normally, it's normally one or two other partners, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> It's normally some indication that there's been a, a, a failure of some relationship or yeah, two, which is normal, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but yet these guys are that you know they're an unusual uh, family in that regard. And for mm. us, so so we, you know, then then as my I got together with my wife, and we'd see these guys once a year, or we'd go down and stay at their property, and just kind of we sort of just idolised the way that they, not just lived their life. Um, and the things that they valued, but the way that they parented their children mm. and the values that they instilled in their children and, and so on. And, um, you know, I still do, to be honest with you. Their youngest is uh, probably 19, I think she is now. And um, and I saw them just a couple of weeks ago. And um, the more we've got to know them, of course, uh, you get to see that, you know, even those people that are, that are very peaceful and, you know, that are very focused and, and whatnot, and not distracted by modern technology and all the rest of it. You know, they still go through their ups and downs, and they still have the moments. Mate, it's life. Take kids mm. out of it, and it's still life. Yeah. No kids. You try and have a relationship for thirty years. Good luck. <laughs> right. <laughs> Throw kids on the top of that, and you've just got well, kind of something you know, more. Maybe and and kids do <laughs> distract you a bit from each other, so you're not going to be just kind of totally. You, you could you could argue that as well, but then it's a fine balance, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, it goes either way. I mean, we've. It's been hard after the second one for us, you know, you, you, you suddenly, it steps up a lot and you've got to consciously look after your relationship yeah, a bit. Yeah. You've got to look after your, look, I've talked at length about my mental health and, <laughs> and, the, and reaching these sort of limits and going, oh shit, that's, I've really, oh, I'm not very good at the, these certain things, you know, where your mm. triggers are, all that yeah, sort yeah. of shit. So it's very confronting like that. Yeah. But then with, mm. it, what are you going to do? Are you going to? Like I've had a vasectomy now. Surely you've got to do that. Yeah, well, we actually we, come on now. Yeah, oh, totally. This is <laughs> this is definitely the last. Um, we we thought we we thought we we're at that point, you know, right. kind of four years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, my wife's my wife's an adopted only child. Ah, uh, right. So um, she, you know, even when we met, she was very keen to have a large family. Right. We didn't have Fair kids enough. for years, right? We were together mm. for many, many years before we started having children. And so we then had our first two within, uh, I think it was 16 months apart. And that's bullet in the head material. Mm. Like, that's like having twins. It's probably worse than having twins. 
Because at least yeah. with twins, you sort of work through it. And that, they're on the same level. Yeah. It's not this. So the nightmare is there, but only for a year or two, right? Mm. But 16 months apart, and it's like that's a, that's a three to five year nightmare, right? Where you, mm. there is that, that whole re- maintaining a, a relationship outside of just being a parent is incredibly difficult. Yeah. And, um, you know, so you, you, you inevitably just struggle with a whole range of things. And then so we got through that. And uh, and and I and I was prepared to hang the boots up at that point, right? Like right. I'm done, you know. Like yeah. this is this is me. And and um, and I thought I could pull that off, but it didn't work. And, and she kind of just threw down the ultimatum and said, "No, that's not. That's just that wasn't the that wasn't the contract, right?" Right. Um, and so also given time, and your kids go 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 into that sort of next phase and. And then you actually start really enjoying certain certain parts yeah. of being a parent, and then then you realise that it's whizzing by at some ridiculous rate. The idea of actually having another one, you kind of get to have a crack at it again, right? <laughs> this is this complex biological urge thing that that nature's playing on us, where it's it does that like like when you're in the dead of it, you're going, I'm not having any more kids. But then, as you say, time moves on, you forget the bad bits. Well, and- that's because it's look, I'm a biologist, right? Mm. So it's it, that, that what you're ta- what you're describing from a biological perspective is quite simple. It is having children is the meaning of life, right? Yeah, and um, you can derive kind of a spiritual context to that, which many people do, or you can derive just a very simple kind of sterile biological kind of process to that as well. And that, yeah. and either way you come at it, that's what we're here to do. And you know, from in my mind, from a biological perspective, and we, it, it, just the fact that it pumps you with oxytocin mm. for that for the first period of a relationship, and it goes like this will this will be a long enough to get them shagging at least, and then of course relationships with or without kids mm. after a certain stretch of time when oxytocin starts to withdraw, yeah. take a bit of work. You've got to kind of mm. when once the drug addled because mm. you are I don't know about you, but when Missy and I got together, we were drug fucked mm-hmm. on oxytocin. Mm-hmm. I was sneaking off to send a little vi- videos at work. I had to have a I had to have a, a, a meeting with my boss to to apologise for being so absent and. <laughs> Like I was like a, like a smackhead. You yeah, know? Like no, I couldn't, it's wonderful. It's amazing, mm. and then and then it all sort of recedes a bit, and it, and it serves you well to realise that's going to happen. Yeah, so that you can. Well, people do try and tell on- you that though. People do try and see <laughs> that happens, but you don't believe it, right? Because mm. you're like, no, no, this is uh, this is forever again. Mm. So I, I suppose it all kind of points it's like to someone this- doing lines and someone going, it's, it's four o'clock in the morning and you're having another line. Maybe you should slow down. No, no, it's fine. I know what I'm doing. We're going to work. <laughs> oh god, you know? that's right. We're just going to push through. We're going to push through. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. In fact, I'll work better this way. I'll work better this. You way. know what? I, I really, I think, I think it's going to be better like this. This should be a permanent thing. Hmm. And um, six months later, you're in rehab in a circle. Yeah, going, yeah, you know, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, or dead. Um, yeah. But and, and I think that just points to kind of how naive we are as um, as individuals. Hmm. And that's a, a great human thing, right? Because we're always kind of prepared to go. Well, someone else has had a crack at this, and in fact, maybe many millions of people have had a crack at this, and they've all kind of got it wrong. But I'll get it right. Mm. Right, like that's a human trait, and we and, and we kind of just keep working off the back of that. No, we'll we'll just keep get, getting better all the time. Do you know? Sorry, go. No, no. Yeah, when I see, like, we've got a few friends who've who've tried really hard to have kids, oh. and, and we 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 were very lucky. We just it just nudged each other. 
Well, you couldn't stop them. I, I don't know what. <laughs> like we 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 still say that these kids were coming regardless of whether <laughs> we stay together or whatever. They they were going to be here. Um, but some of our friends have had like yeah, it's taken a long, long time. It's been heartbreaking, a mm. lot of loss, a lot of stuff, and and then they finally get pregnant, mm. and they're just, it's like, as you can imagine, you know, this long journey to get to there. But then part of me is going, in two months' time, mm. you're going to be pacing around at three in the morning, and you're going to be going, yeah, what the fuck was I? So in a way, the, the having worked so hard makes the expectation even mm. higher, like. Uh-huh. Because we all have those moments in the middle of the night where we go, we should, I've made a dreadful mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, and, and you're right, and, and that, that, part of, uh, that part of everyone's relationship, it can be very, very stressful. I mean, Sarah and I were the same. We were like, oh, maybe we should try having kids. And it was like a second later, uh, our first was on its way. I was yeah. like, oh, wow, I, I thought there was going to be a whole kind yeah. of months of fun, but, you know, that, right. didn't, that didn't happen. Yeah. We kind of just literally bumped into each other in the night and it was done. Yeah. Um, whereas other, we, we had lots of our friends as well, the same thing, tried for years and years and years. And, and, and I reckon that must be so tough because it's, mm. it's just making, it's making parenthood right from the start, kind of even just getting to that point like climbing Mount Everest, right? Yeah. And then the level of expectation yes. that you've got now. Uh, you know, it's just, oh, it's unrealistic. Yeah, it's hard. That's hard, man. It's and and if they don't have another one, if it's just one, right? I think that's hugely dangerous for everybody involved. Yeah. To be honest, because I, I, my my cousin's actually an only child, right? And um and, and so my wife is an only child, so I've actually had quite close experience with with that dynamic. Mm. Uh, and so you can read all about what it, you know what it's like to have one child or two or the first child versus the second and so on but mm. um my lived experience is that it's pretty tough being an only child yeah 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 if if for no other reason than the pure weight of expectation from the parents you know like th- this is their only source of sort of family love or childhood sort of coming there direct it's a lot of pressure yeah yeah that's right yeah, yeah. but the more you have um the, i think the more that you dilute the yeah, and I think I think that you know as individuals they get that own space to to grow. Um, and, and we and the irony is we feel like we're neglecting uh, as parents because we can't give the second or the third or whatever as much attention as the first. But in fact, yeah, you know, it's probably actually a much better thing. You well, know, man, I keep thinking the more I go into this, the more it seems. That we gotta leave the fuckers alone. Oh, well, we're we're we're. This is what Marsden was yeah, on about. Yeah. We're we're at them. Yeah, and we're worrying about whether we're teaching them yeah. correct or whatever. And and I can't help feeling like sometimes Sammy just puts his hand up like that and goes, "Stop!" And it's not him saying stop doing what you're doing. It's, sometimes it's like just stop mm. all the fuss, mm. you know. And I go, "Oh shit!" You know, we we just yeah. Stand back a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's right, and and I think it's quite interesting because um, out of my my group of schoolmates, uh, we were twenty seven when we first uh, had Dean, mm. and we were actually some of the first of that group. Mm. So so we would actually then get the couples kind of come up and visit the farm uh, over the next kind of you know year or two or three or four. It was kind of like they were they were coming up to see. Right. What it was all about, you know. Yeah. And check it um, out. try before you buy. Yeah. Like yeah. Going yeah. To the pound. Yeah. How, how, check out the puppies. What, what's it? What's, what's this really like, you know? And uh, and so they'd come up and looking for cracks in your. It's like it's like the 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 air um, steward 
you know, like when there's turbulence <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. look at their face yeah, 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 and as long yeah. as they're smiling, you're okay. And it's sort of like that. They come up, look at the, your, you guys and see mm. if you crack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or even after they'd had kids and, they, and they're probably going through the things we've discussing now, just those, those ups and downs and so on, and, and they actually bring their kids out to us. And that was actually, that happened in another phase as well. Where we had a fair few of our mates come up with young kids, really young. Mm. And, um, and a lot of them would sort of, uh, would, would, you're always going to look across in the greener grass scenario. Yeah. But I think a lot of them also sort of just saw that Kimberley, um, lifestyle and, and, and started to get, maybe the benefits of giving kids space mm. and you know because I, I mean obviously I, I grew up um, with uh, predominantly Aboriginal people mm. and uh, and I've, I've had these discussions with my friends where they kind of reflect on that more than I do and that you know because they, they, they you know they wonder why I suppose people from the Kimberley uh, are a little different or people from the north probably generally you know mm. we, we have so much more space right yeah that that you have an old fashioned kind of style of childhood that you know people struggle with in the cities now, and then you combine that <clears throat> with you know with the ability to to have a uh, an, an 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 Aboriginal sort of tribal type uh, influence in, into your your childhood, and, and that's a whole new dynamic because that's that mm. really is what we're talking about where where it's a it's a it's an arm's length, you know so. You don't need to slap children when when you let them roam through the bush. Mm. The bush does that, right? Yeah, right? yeah. And yeah. and you know, even I remember my mates coming up and sort of watching the way our kids would interact with the environment, and and you know, they'd just be terrified if for their own children to be kind of doing anything that they were like, you know, very young kids kind of wandering over oyster clad rocks or whatever it might be, and and you know, mm. thinking that was really dangerous, but yet. If you grow up in that environment, you know the first thing you learn is if you uh, don't interact with it a certain way, you actually get cut, right? Right. Um, and even being around fires or water, um, you know, Aboriginal people have a way of giving kids just enough rope, mm. right? And that's that kind of communal sense of raising kids, where you know, because basically at Signet Bay I spent my parents were very busy um, running trying to get a business off the ground so I spent sort of every waking hour over at the Hunter family uh, camp which is right on the front beach and so you know there'd, there'd just be a collective of children kind of roaming around and there'd always be you know an elder or an adult or a hunter or someone else you know kind of there with the pack um, and and just kind of keeping an eye on things and I think you know, there's so much to benefit from from that style of of raising children. Um, that you know, it's something that I know that my friends were in awe of. But mm. you know, we I constantly try and bring myself back to that as well, and go, well, actually, you know, that's what everyone's missing these days oh, yeah. is to give kids this territory of you know what, like you can go out and explore, and you know, I think the difficulty though too is that. That's something you have to do a bit gradually as they grow. Like mm. if you were to take city kids and just stick them on the oyster rocks, yeah. they could actually do themselves serious harm. Absolutely. But when you when you do it gradually as they grow, they get little slaps yeah. and little injuries as they go. Like I grew up in, in dairy farming country in South Gippsland mm. and we had hills to wander across. Yeah. And we didn't do ourselves major damage. We did ourselves lots of little yeah. damage. Because we were learning incrementally, but mm. I could see how if a, if a kid that just didn't wasn't savvy at all, so it's very hard for city people to kind of get that yeah that I know. thing without a without a whole lifestyle cha- 
change from the beginning. It is. I, I think. I think it genuinely isn't. I, I don't even know if it's necessarily positive. Uh, sorry, possible. I think. Yeah. That, I, I think that unless you are living in a, you know, in a, um, a remote town or or even somewhere like or even more remote, I don't know how you replicate those types of experiences in the city. So that that whole nature of growing up is is so modern. Yeah. Um, and not one that I'm I'm particularly comfortable with. You know, my oldest kid. Is, is nearly 14 and, and you know, I've, I've spent the last, you know, few weeks working with him on some type of, you know, some type of process where he desperately wants a smartphone, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and all his mates have already got him and all the rest of it and we just keep kind of trying to hold it back. Mm. Um, but like this wall of wa- wave just coming toward you. Yeah, but, you know, so I, I'm holding it back because I'm so nervous about social media and these kind of like, you know, these mm. digital platforms where they get bullied and, and, this, and the, the effect on the, their emotional kind of well-being and development. But at the same time, you know, one of my, one of my friends is actually a, a high school teacher and, and he's working with this program. Uh, he's developed this program actually called uh, Big History, which he taught in the Broome Senior High School mm-hmm. in conjunction with um, <laughs> a, a, pro, a professor at Wollongong. And, and this thing is actually backed by Bill Gates, right? This is like mm. an online, you know, uh, teacher's resource where they just, they just educate kids with the most high-tech kind of, you know, way possible. So it's all about like virtual reality and all these amazing things that kids interact with and you know he's so he's very progressive in the way he he kind of approaches this stuff and he's sort of saying well yeah you can be nervous about your kids having a smartphone which i am i focus on the on the dangers Mm -hmm. and you know because i'm not comfortable in that space and he's sort of saying but at the same time you got to realize that you know our kids now actually have like the most powerful tool ever created in their yeah. pocket, and if you can help them engage with that in a positive way, you know, then that then you know that's kind of a limitless sort of scenario. So, so, so there's a similarity here between the the the, the rocks and the thing because if these are two different worlds, in a way, you need to teach them the resilience totally. and, and how to operate that that world, yeah, so that they don't suddenly enter that world, yeah. And crash and fall off the rocks. That's you know? right. So that's where I'm. I find it difficult too. I'm like, I don't know how much that we. There's a lot of benefits from those things, and and the resilience that's being lost by people, and the anxiety and the bullying. Part of that's not. There seems to be just. It seems to be all about trying to shut down bullying. Mm. But I just. That's just not going to work without mm. you censoring and policing mm. and shutting down what would be better i think if we can is to try to teach kids that resilience mm. of th- th- exactly how to put that shit in perspective and not let your br- your head go wild so because yeah. there's nothing more powerful than someone who can stand in the face of a load of shit mm. suddenly that empowers you mm. and um and know how to deal with it and put it into its correct context yeah. and just let it go because then you can you're a very powerful person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, but 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 for our generation, when this is this is so alien, this is like yeah. Yeah. we we have no context of it. We you know we can't relate with it. Like I was saying before, like we in some ways we can think back and and and, tr- and we get these little snippets of what it was like to be at your child's age, and you go, all right, yeah, that's I remember kind of thinking a little bit like that. I get that for a moment. Mm. But then you've got to whack in a iPhone. And go, 
wow. But it also means then you have to understand it. Yeah. Because if you're going to teach them how to navigate it really appropriately, and who the fuck wants that? I don't don't want to learn to navigate Facebook. I just don't do any of that shit. Yeah. Because I can't cope with it. Right. I've I've got antiquated software that just craps out. You know, like if you try to put... Run some new software through an old system and it just fucking dies in a plume of smoke. Oh, and that's what I'm like if I plug into and And that's right. Platforms. And so, so our kind of capacity is sort of <laughs> constantly sinking away as, you know, as, as we get older. And then, of course, the, the technology is going the other way. So, God, what about this time? All right. What about a bridging generation? What, what, so, what, you're in your 40s like me? Yeah, yeah. So, what if we were to get, um, say, a t- late 20s, mm. 30s? intelligent, savvy, smart tech people to be the bridges who can come in. That's a really and, good idea. And, te- and help these kids yeah. to, they've got a little bit of our world, they've yeah. got a little bit of that world. Yeah, yeah. And they can say. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, some type of uh, tech mentor. Um, you know, my, my oldest boy idolizes uh, AFL football players, right? Right. Um, and that's great. Uh, there's lots of good things to be learned from that. But in the digital world, who does he idolize? And it's you know it's probably someone singing some stupid shark song or something. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you know, like where are the kind of role models to say like you know actually this is how you go through it? And Marsden talks about that actually. Yeah. This um, the uh, the sort of ceremonies that you know that that uh, indigenous tribes and, and first world people kind of have like yeah our society sort of doesn't have that. So you know how do you step through life and and go right? Well you know. You're a man now, Dan. So mm. step up. But see, even fifty years ago, that's some of that existed in our culture as well. There mm. was a bit more of it because we didn't weren't so busy with all these other ways of communicating. Mm. There was more people catching up with family. You mm. knew your uncles and aunts more. I mean, I don't as much, and my kids hardly do. Like mm. it, it's um, Steve Bidolf too talks about that in in a in a tribal context young men would have a four or five adult men mm. on their case all the time, mm. keeping them in line, yeah. directing them where to go. And, and the fact that we don't have that anymore and we and instead we have fucking Facebook. Oh, no. That, that when you think about it like that, if, mm. those, if but boys mm. particularly don't have that leadership from other men, mm. they will go to the nearest knucklehead. Mm. This is what, what's his name I was talking about too, uh, about on the topic of toxic masculinity, uh, the author who wrote all those Western Australian books, mm. what's his name, you know, with the long hair? Oh, Tim Winton. Tim Winton mm. did a, did yeah, a yeah, beautiful yeah. Uh, sort of talk about mm. that and how they will just grab onto some lunatic who's two years older than them Yeah, and because for, for want of better male role, role models. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, and I did that myself, right? So after, after being kind of growing up on the farm, I went mm. to boarding school like, like all remote kids did mm. and um and that was still back in an era uh where if you went to boarding school it was kind of some form of incarceration <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. and and i didn't mind that because it was a big adventure and we played sport and did all kinds of crazy shit but it was kind of like a, a distinct cutoff like all right your parents are gone you yeah. know what i mean like that that yeah. that network that support network you'll yeah you'll see them what you know three or four times a year and Outside of that, you might ring him every now and then from a public phone box, mm-hmm. and that's it, right? That's your relationship with your parents done and dusted, and you get thrown into these little. Gee, that uh, sounds good now. It, well, as a parent, totally, <laughs> totally, right? And, and even my oldest boy, he's like, "Yeah, send me to boarding school." Yeah, um, and then uh, you get put in these dormitories where you know you shared rooms with lots of other kids and so on, 
And it's this kind of Lord of the Flies thing where you naturally gravitate to those people immediately around you. And one of them was exactly the type of personality that you just described. So mm-hmm. one of my best mates, this guy, Ben Halford, Ben, if you ever hear this, sorry, mate, uh, <laughs> but he's a complete nutbag, right? <laughs> uh, t- totally dysfunctional uh, guy that had a dysfunctional relationship with his parents, but super uh, exciting, you know, mm. just a, a really amazing guy, an unbelievably uh, talented. Probably showed you that anything's possible. Oh, totally. Like you, you can, yeah. Which is a kind of a, I mean, that's what you want too. So anything's possible. Like you know, yeah. you could. He, he was playing kind of you know rugby for the for the the first team at the, in I think it was ridiculous, like in year nine or even ten or something stupid. Like you know, he was just this right. incredibly kind of you know gung ho guy, and so of course everyone is drawn to that type of personality. Mm. I mean, you know, and later mm. in life he showed me that it was completely possible to get locked up by the Greek police for smuggling drugs and all these other oh, amazing right. things, right, yeah, which right. is just indicative of this kind of huge adventure that his life yeah. is, right? Mm. Um, he's still a very close mate, actually, it's and he's calmed right down. Sorry, Ben, you, he's calmed right <laughs> down now, of course. He's a perfect, uh, uh, you know, perfect person. Um, Hemingway but, characters. Yeah, and that's mm. my concern with with because my wife is like, maybe we should send our oldest to, to boarding school already and, and – she never went, and I'm sort of saying, "Well, that's fine, but this is the reality. Uh, you you get grown up by the basically the kids yeah. that are surrounding you, right? That's where you take your learnings from, and and, and there's I a bit of luck in that, right? It's just that's the point. Yeah. So it's like a it's like a drawing a lottery ticket and mm-hmm. going throwing your kid into a group of kids that just might have the majority not great, mm. and then that's the natural kind of the natural drag yeah whereas i was lucky enough to not only be surrounded by you know ben and his kind of crazy behavior of course he got kicked out of school in year 10 so right. it's convenient um in fact the, 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 it was quite funny that the headmaster dragged us both into the office and said <coughs> you know lads this is not working um <laughs> One of you, one of, this is a kid in you know, a school of a thousand kids. One of you's got to leave the school. Yeah. And Ben, I just went, I've always told my parents this is a waste of fucking money. So <laughs> good luck, Brownie. See you later. And stood up and walked out and went back to Kananara and started working. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, this, this kind of, you know, that, that luck of who you're surrounded by. And so I just happen to have these kind of very brilliant, uh, people kind of around me that just taught me all these other things. And, you know, I did all right. Managed to scrape into uni, and and then mm. you, then your life actually starts to become your life because I mean, I suppose that's that point where in our society you go, "Oh, I'm out of school now. Mm. I must be not a child, right? So I might as well just actually get on with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think everyone has, has a different <laughs> has a different process, but for me, mm. uni was a bit like that. It was like. No, actually, I'm really interested in this stuff. Whereas you feel like you're kind of doing time in school, you know? You're yeah, just, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. You're totally. crunching through it, mm. which mm. is a shame. I don't think that needs to be the way. No, it shouldn't be the way. We're, we're really, yeah, we've we've been taking that John Marsden stuff seriously too, and he's got those schools in Victoria that mm. we're like, will we move and go there? I mean, I think I've always been trying to get some country, since I moved back to Melbourne from here, mm. and with the kids I've been super keen to get somewhere where we can be close to the bush and somewhere where they can butt up against mm. the world. And we, we got a, a place in Warrandyte in, and um, we so, – so some bush. Mm. And I'm really keen to have the kids go out there and so they can, you know, climb trees, dig a hole, yeah, yeah. nail something together yeah. and, and do that stuff like yeah. hurt themselves, cut themselves, a bit of stuff because that feels to me like a little bit of a – 
insurance against that going out green into the world that's into a world that's not going to be as sympathetic either as we are and yeah so i'm really happy that we can do that it's hard it's very hard for a lot of people to i mean you just got to try and get away somewhere I think so. I mean, look, to be honest, I shouldn't even try and have an opinion on it because I've never really lived in a city. But um, Mm. uh, I do know how much I value the time my kids get to spend back at the farm. And I mean, my my middle boy, Shay, who's uh, 11 now, um, one of my best mates, Terry Hunter, um, who's obviously a fully initiated Indigenous man, um, is now doing his own kind of, you know, cultural tours and so on at Signet Bay. And Mm. so, you know, my middle boy idolizes him mm. and every waking moment that he's at Signet Bay, he's either at Terry's camp kind of, you know, cooking something or making a spear or, you know, or literally waking Terry up to go and do something. Um, so, you know, and, and he's kind of that, that, that one of those many fathers that, you know, you spoke about before, right? Yeah. And, and that to me, I, I, I you know that's priceless. Totally. Um, and and yeah. so I, I actually actively try and facilitate that, even if it means I take Shay out of school every now and then to go and spend some time with Terry, right? Because I just think that you know there's a window of of, of every child's life where they really absorb yeah. certain things, and for him, this is it. You know, that's why all uh, white kids should come yeah, north. Totally. It should be part of the curriculum mm. to spend time with Aboriginal yeah. people on the country that we are fucking living on and and it would imagine what that would how that would change the relationship going forward yeah, yeah. even just a cursory understanding because it's so when i first came here and and met aboriginal people and got to know understand a little bit about mm. how things will operate i it was like this chasm mm. opened up i went i have i had no idea just how different yeah. we do things how incredible it is and there's such a narrow understanding down south of what it means to be aboriginal and yeah and they only see the the, the negative sides but it is profound and and how that works with the the country and i, I just felt like if, if kids could get even a, a little mm. glimpse of that we wouldn't that then there might be able to be reconciliation on a bigger level. Oh, it, we absolutely. just can't. We can't comprehend. It's too different. Yeah, that's right. So it, yeah, you, yeah, that's right. You touched on the kind of the reconciliation process, and, and that's part of it. Yeah. But, but I actually think that, that your first comment is that it's so much more valuable for us as parents to expose our kids to that mm. early on. Um, you know, even the people that live here, like in Broome, um, they don't actually know their cultural heritage. Only now. Is it starting to be integrated into it, the schools here? You mean Aboriginal people in Broome, or you mean just everyone in everyone Broome? In I mean the multicultural Broome, yeah, right? We've, no. we've got this incredible, incredible backstory of 150 years of, of multicultural mixing of you know eight, nine different nationalities, mm. uh, and then obviously prior that the, the you know the the millennial uh, or the millennia of, uh, of of kind of cultural heritage, mm. um, and apart from living living it uh you couldn't actually understand it whereas now kids are actually you know in broom senior high school you know they're actually being taught yaru language that you know we're starting to see more and more of that come through and i think that's actually a really exciting time so my, my kids mm. started life <clears throat> on the farm and they attended Dadi loon uh, one at a point commonly mm-hmm. known mm-hmm. as uh, and that's a great school um and of course you know Dadi loon is uh the Bardi tribe's very culturally strong, so they're exposed to it, you know. They go, 
Mm. They go spearing, they go on cultural camps and they have, you know, people in there speaking the language and so on. So that's great. Uh, But then when we came to Broome, it's a little bit, it's a little bit behind that, but mm. Broome's catching up now, and then you know, and, and I agree with you totally. It sort of spreads, you know, and and it normally spreads from the north. If you, if you have a look at other things, a lot of leaders generally uh, in that sort of national uh, reconciliation process actually come from either Broome or the northern parts of Australia, you know, and they mm. and and that then spreads slowly across the country. And from I think from a parent's perspective, that that. I feel very, very lucky about that. Yeah. But it's tough at the same time because mm. my wife, and I know lots of other people in Broome, this is actually a dinner table kind of debate because, of course, at the same time, whilst that's such a profound, unique and valuable opportunity, mm. the reality is in Northern Australia, the Aboriginal people are, you know, look at the closing of the gap status report every year. Yeah. You know? I mean, the reality yeah. is that, that we're failing on so many different levels. See, you know, Terry Hunter and, and, and these other kind of you know, huge identities out there. And then you and I could list off dozens mm. and dozens of these very, very amazing people uh, are incredible. But yet their own families, probably the majority of those families are really struggling in many, many ways. Yeah. And that's the normal way that if you just come to Broome for a few years, that's probably going to be your main uh, experience, you're right, outside, yeah. outside of seeking out something more than that. And, the, and, and what's... Broome and the North, Kimberley is, operates on geological time, you know, like yeah. it's ancient country. The, 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 the stories and the cultures are, are, are longer and more continuous than anywhere else in the world. It's, and you can't just breeze in mm. and say, see, see, if I just meet you at a party in Melbourne, I can go, what do you do? Where do you come from? What do you, and you'll tell me and we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. You can't. Like I went out to um, Bunabar country and met Dylan Andrews yeah, yeah. when I first came up here. And I, he took us for three days out to all these places. It was amazing. And I kind of followed him around like a dog mm. going, so tell me, what do this, blah, 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 blah. And I was just asking him, yeah. Chris, and, he, and he's kind of going, oh, well, I don't know about that. Depends what you think. What do you mean by that? And, and I thought he was doing that kind of Buddhist thing of, of – being mysterious and not giving me answers and things. I was like, what's wrong with this character? Mm. <clears throat> and then a few days down the track, I realized that it doesn't operate like that. You no. can't just come in and demand to know stuff. Even though my intention was because I wanted to know, I wanted to feel connected, I mm. wanted to make bridges, blah, 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 mm. in a proper southern white person yeah. way. And then I'm sitting at this waterhole that his people have known intimately for 40,000 years. Yeah. Like, like we come from cultures that have been, have pillaged each other and travelled the world. Like for, to have an unbroken lineage that for one little waterhole mm. for 40, like, and it, and it suddenly occurred to me that I can't just come in and. Understand. And, and tr- even try. And, then, and so all of the relationships need to be long mm. and slow. Mm. And you need to listen mm. and things will come. But our world is about trying to fix. So so then I was, because I came up here to get sober, I got I was I spent a lot of time in the prison talking to, to Aboriginal people and mm. trying and translating stuff. And the I just the the difference between what they are up against compared to me was it put mm. a lot of stuff into perspective. It was incredible. But I I realized that um now I've lost my thread. It, With it, Dylan. Yeah, well, that you just, oh, that's right. All of the programs that come up here, the well-meaning yeah. programs,
programs from the south to help Aboriginal people. Oh. Uh, the funding is for six months or don't a year. Get me, you know, don't you get know. me started. But it don't needs to be twenty years, and it, it and it needs to be a sit down conversation, yeah. and it needs to be led by people here. And, and that we can't. But when you have an electoral cycle, you know all this, where you've got to tick boxes. Mm. We're talking about geological time, and we would we need to do. It's, this is the thing that upsets me. Like we all in Melbourne getting stressed and anxious, and we need to slow down to this thing. So I just want people to walk into these places and ask or, or listen. Like, like try to. I don't know how we do this, but it well, would I be think wonderful. I, th- I think it is being um, it is being facilitated now, uh, yeah. and whether you like it or not, like by the tourism industry, mm. and and I think that that's kind of the short term fix in some ways to connect people and particularly we talk about trying to get, you know, how do parents give their kids some insight into this world without actually moving here and really right. dedicating your life to it because I agree with you completely. Like if you if you genuinely want to to get the world view of, a, of an Australian Aboriginal person, mm. then um, th- that's the only way to do it. You've just got to be there, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you have to just live, live it. Yeah. Outside of that, um, you know there are there are these these you know these incredible uh, individuals that are capable of of kind of not just walking both worlds but literally translating mm. it. So they are that bridge, right? And 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 most people will probably if you've ever kind of researched a broom holiday, you probably might have come across you know Brian Lee at Coolgerman or right, you know, yeah. or Bundy you know or Vincent Angus Mudnun now Bolo and you know in town now we've got Bart Pigram and and uh, Dan and uh, you know there's a few other guys mm. now kind of stepping into that space and 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 these are the kind of you know the the few that are able to walk in both worlds and and then are able to then create it into some kind of entertaining format and da 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 and short form version of you know here's my ancient culture right <laughs> yeah. and 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 here's a here's a kind of a positive spin on the last 200 years right <laughs> for the for the smartphone generation you know what i mean and it, and oh. I, and i idolize those guys um, <laughs> and and there's so, there's so many more of them because obviously we've got we've got so many in fact you know i don't know if you know but the Dampier Peninsula's the highest concentration of, uh, of indigenous tourism in the country, right? Right. No. And and and, the, and those guys have kind of forged that uh, in spite of 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 the plan, rather than kind of by any kind of assistance. You know, I mean, mm. the, the Howards at Middle Lagoon, and and you know, and e- everyone up there. I mean, it's I don't know how they do it, but um, but people seek that out, mm-hmm. and and and, when, and then people you find that people in the Dampier Peninsula, like travellers, they'll come back every year, right? Even that might be only for a week or two. Like literally, there are people that drive from Melbourne to the Dampier Peninsula every year and spend, you know, a week, two, three, four. Like the Cibasados, they have these people from Melbourne that come back every single year. And you know what? Yeah. I, I can guarantee you it's to spend time with the Cibasados, mm. not to go fishing on their boat, even though that's great fun. It's mm. actually to sit under the mango tree and talk with the Cibasados, right? So, you know, th- those, those opportunities are there. Um, mm. And and I think that you know tourism is kind of the enabler outside of yeah. changing your entire life, mm. you know. And, and let's hope that you know time that gets that gets easier and easier. Because I think from a parent's perspective, for me, like you know, I I constantly worry about you know iPhones and the digital world and all those things that I don't know how to prepare my children for. Mm. Even though I also sort of know that it's probably a positive thing at some point, but I am comforted in the fact that if they 
if they can get this knowledge, you know, does yes. that build that sort of that ceremonial kind of part in life to go, I understand now what it is to have responsibility and to behave a certain way. And, you know, like my, my kids' mates go through, are already going through law. Yeah. Wow. So every time we go out to Signet Bay, we have uh, little Jojo normally comes over for a few days or a week on the school holidays and stays with us still, right? They used to go to school together. And, and he's just completed, you know, the next stage of his law. He hasn't been able to eat fish for 12 months. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and he still can't eat honey until his, <clears throat> until his law boss tells him he can and so on. And, you know, and so, you know, my kids kind of have to deal with this. So when Jojo's over for the last 12 months, we can, obviously, yeah, we go hunting still, but we don't eat fish, which is for a Barty person. You can see it's such a significant thing. Imagine, you know, like you're a saltwater person, it's part of what you eat every single day and then you can't eat it for a year. See, for a, for a, for a kind of a Western white, you know, a non-Indigenous person's um, perspective just from hearing that, even without the cultural element, kids having to forego things mm. from an early age and learn how to... Yeah. Is, is the antithesis of the smartphone generation where everything's immediate and mm. you get dopamine hits for everything. Mm. For, if kids are having to learn to to deal with restraints and restrictions yeah. within it, it's got to be good for their resilience. And their, oh, yeah. You know? And, the, and, the, and, the, and the, it's about accountability too. Yeah. So, you, you know, you go through law and law is not an age-determined process, mm. right? They, the tribe basically picks you and says, righty, off you go oh. now, son, right? And, uh, and then when you, when you go through all those various stages and you come out, um, then, uh, you know, you have a role to play yeah. and, and expectations with that and you'll be treated as such. So you're accountable and, you know, if you don't do the right thing, well, you know, you sort of suffer the consequences and the whole range of things that happen through that process, right? And it's quite interesting because I'm also seeing some of my, my older Aboriginal friends, um, choose to go through that process later in life because they may have mm. missed it for one reason or another, you know, went away from school or, yep. you know, or maybe they were part of their childhood was elsewhere with another, with another family member or whatever. And so then they go through it later in life and, um, you know, that's quite confronting Yeah, because the whole process is, you know, is really, really tough. And, and, you know, if you're a child, yeah, no worries, you can probably, you know, get you through it. But for an adult, phew, yeah, full on. Um, but you know, part of me always wonders because I remember being quite young, and um, and you know, I think one of the Hunter family kind of uh, potentially even talking to my dad about you know whether or not they would take me through that process, and you know, can my my dad just sort of going no, oh, nah, you nah. know, and uh, and and not kind of doing it, and I can see my kids now like especially Shay like you know if you spend your childhood idolizing one of the tribe at some point that will that will be a thing right yeah and <laughs> it's like oh god what so would, would you do? would you let him do well it? i don't know i don't know i mean and, and part of me is thinking well of course i'm not even going to worry about it but you know if someone tapped me on the shoulder and said you know uh we'd like to do x y and z then I, then then i would and you know I, I think realistically part of me would probably jump at the opportunity you know oh yeah because there's that lack of those things there's lack of those kind of those processes in 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 our otherwise kind of modern world mm. where you go, you're not a child anymore. It's time to grow up. 
Yeah, and, and, and then the people around you, mm. the trusted people, the family people are with you or take you into this stuff. I mean, that's a beautiful, it's not just one parent mm. or, or whatever bringing up kids. There's mm. this whole, I mean, it's... It does involve some other savage stuff as well, though, yeah, that no, I'm not sure if I'd be that uh, pleased about. And it does involve some harsh stuff, right? <laughs> But, that, but yeah. yeah, but so, that's part of it. That's part of it. I mean, you know, in the in the absence of that, what do we got? Levers. Yeah, and kids do harsh stuff to themselves at levers. <laughs> well, levers. What's that mean? Well, you know, the party you have when you finish year twelve. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, like schoolies type thing. Yeah, yeah. We get we take ourselves off and mess ourselves Especially up. Especially right? blokes. Blokes find these rites of passage. Mm. Young men find whether it's in cars or doing crazy shit, they want to hurt themselves. They mm. want to prove themselves exactly. to people. You know. Exactly. Can you before we kind of get like. Like with everyone, we sort of launch off. But yeah. I wanted to get a little bit of just background for people on what what we're talking about here because you grew up at, at Signet Bay Pearl Farm. Mm. This is your family yeah. um, place and it's on the peninsula. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, maybe just if you can tell us what – how many generations back – what are we talking here? Oh, look, not that long really. My grandfather um, sailed up this way after the Second World War Mm-hmm. And uh, he bought one of the few remaining luggers because you know in the Second World War all the luggers yeah. in Brent were burnt, right? Yeah, God. And um, so he, uh, you know, he was just another dreamer, uh, <laughs> living in the wheat belt at the time. And then after the war, I, I don't know exactly what drove him. I, I kind of I've conjured up this story in my own mind because he was two. I was two when he passed away. Right. Uh, yeah. But for whatever reason, after the war, he's you know he's bought this crappy old wooden lugger in Frio and sort of sailed it north. Mm. And ended up at Sunday Island. Ended up meeting a, a guy with the name of David Wigan in um, Broome, who's mm. obviously was a Barty elder at the time. Uh, and then David kind of convincing my my grandfather that in fact, you know, why would you stop in Broome? Keep going oh, north, yeah. right? Yeah. And so he ended up basing himself on Sunday Island, which is um, an island just off the coast of of the peninsula where the mission was and, of course, where the rest of David's family was, where most of the Bardi people were at the time and the Jawi people. And so my grandfather was there 15 years in the old shelling industry and and most people don't know, but actually farming pearls at that time was illegal and and it had been illegal in in Western Australia since the 1920s to protect the shelling industry. It was all about the shell, right? Mm. But, of course, onset of plastics, da-da-da-da-da. Buttons. Yeah, all that. And and so... uh, my grandfather really entered it at, at the death knock of that old industry, but well-timed in the sense that the cultured pearling industry was about to arrive. Right. And then, you know, so that means actually seeding. Farming shell, farming yeah. pearls. Yeah, so it's a very big change in mentality. So before that, it was almost just kind of gathering a natural resource and selling it. You know, you know, yes. fish all the shell up, kill it, da-da-da-da, pack it in a drum yeah, and yeah. send it away. Whereas as soon as you actually start farming something, Boom, you've then got every time it's two years from start to trial from one end to the other and you're really daily now sort of sinking into the environment. Um, so the first company came along called Pearls Proprietary Limited at Curie Bay. It was a multinational company all run by the Japanese. It was a very Japanese-dominated thing. Because mm-hmm. you know, they knew how to do it. They, they, they were the only they ones who knew how to do it. And there was actually Japanese law to say that they must not train anyone else. Didn't one of your relatives... 
just go there and figure it out himself. Well, that's what happened. So, so my grandfather then, <laughs> my grandfather was just a crazy guy in many ways, yeah. right? What what was he even doing out there? Mm. And he and so he he won the the contract to supply Kiri Bay's stores with his lugger when their <clears> own <throat> supply ship ran aground on Montgomery Reef. I mean, the Kimberley Coast is such a dangerous place to try yeah. and operate a boat, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially back in the Those day. Tides. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so he's so he's now running the supplies up to Kiri Bay, right? And this is like in 1950 seven or eight or something so he doesn't have kids at this stage no, uh, no he does but they're all in Perth still with, oh, wow. with being raised by their mother wow. another whole backstory and he backstory. just takes off up in the Kimberley yeah. with yeah, yeah yeah and he'd, he'd only go home <laughs> once every year or two actually because it was too oh, otherwise well, he couldn't do it that wasn't that right? uncommon I no suppose. he was yeah. working he was you know so uh, so he got the supply and sort of saw that hey hang on so they're doing something else here with this industry da 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 so he actually applied for another uh, cultured pearl farming he actually got the first cultured pearl license in in Broome because mm. of course there wasn't one when Kiri Bay set up right right and um and then he uh and then my my uncle Lyndon uh had just finished school he was 19 and 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 so so Dean sort of you know said why don't you come up and 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 help me have a crack at this and that's what Lyndon did so he sat on the beach at Signet Bay and sort of did some experiments and so and so you know Dean and his and his and his body mates, you know, went and fished some shell and picked up Lyndon. This is, I mean, it's an unbelievable story. Lyndon's nineteen. He arrives at Broome to meet mm-hmm. to meet his dad, right, who he hasn't spent much time with. Yeah. And uh, and Dean's coming back from a store run up to Curie Bay. He's been hit by two cyclones, sprung a plank, nearly sunk. Uh, had to had to careen the boat in somewhere. Da 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 da. Anyway, weeks go past. And my my uncle's sitting in Broome wondering what's going on. <laughs> Couldn't communicate with him, of course. No smartphones. No smartphones. Not even a radio back <laughs> then that could reach him. Yeah, yeah. And um, and you know he's and he sort of says like after about three weeks he's about to get on the boat and go to Perth because he just assumed that he'd been lost at sea, you know. <laughs> and uh, and and so finally this this wooden lugger sort of you know limps into Roebuck Bay. You know I think it was like three or five weeks late. Can you imagine? Uh, yeah. And it's like, g'day, son, jump on. So they jump on <laughs> and then steam straight back out to Signet Bay and he drops, he drops Lyndon at Shenton Bluff. There's no roads to this location, right, with a few, few hundred shell that they'd fished and, uh, and, you know, and some of his, obviously, his closest body mates to essentially keep him alive, right? And, um, and that's what he did. He sat on the beach and... He dropped him off. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he had to keep going. And- All right, hang on. We're sitting here with our parenting books yeah. and our fear about. Yeah. Now, this is a father he's hardly seen. Mm. Four four weeks he waits for him. Mm. He puts him on the boat, mm. drops him off. He thinks on he's dead. Beach. He thinks he's dead, right? <laughs> and then when he thinks that, right? No worries. Here you go, son. I'm going to drop you off. Figure out how to make. Yeah, pearls. have a crack at this. This is kind of you know. This is what I think Jeez. you need to do. And uh, and and Lyndon, you know, kind of scraped together some some tools out of a document that he saw out of a CSIRO kind of, you know, research paper about pearl farming and and and, and bits of tin and stuff that he literally scavenged from the broom tip, and and kind of had a crack. It was ridiculous. Like the, he he had no chance of success, but somehow managed to pull pull it off. Um, oh, so he did it. He he figured out. Well, yeah. That, strangely I mean, enough, they went back a year later and. Um, and there was some, you know, there was some fairly, uh, you know, some pearls sort of growing, uh, and so off the back yeah. of that sort of that success, they they kept trying, and of course, it mm. takes, you know, it takes years, if not decades, to figure all the rest of it out. But anyway, so that was that was how it got started. And that was that was, in, the, that was in the 1960s, mm. and then they, you know, so because they're farming now, they got to be there all the time, and so then they slowly, surely built kind of like right. the capacity to live 
somewhere in the middle of the Kimberley. Mm. So that involves, you know, finding fresh water, which is the reason why our camp, uh, our village is where it is now, and mm. and then, uh, you know, and then growing vegetables and then raising livestock and proper kind of, you know, farmer brown stuff. Because for the first few months or years, they pretty much just lived on fish and dugong and turtle and rice, right? Like uh, With the help of the Bardi people. Oh, there's no, there no one else there. There's no one else there. And have they been, they've been involved then? The whole time. The whole yeah. time. So you've got this family connection and Yeah, yeah, but of course and- it's it's complex, right? Because when they first started working together, I mean, Bardi people had no recognition. They weren't even recognised as people. Yeah, flora um, and fauna, right? Yeah, my uncle tells a really interesting story. When, when he sort of took the business over, like, from my grandfather a bit later on and... Um, you know, suddenly had this sort of lugger full of people and had to go out and get shell and do all this stuff. You know, there was award wages for all this indentured labour, even, you know, in his lifetime. There's still mm. lots of broom was basically populated by indentured labour and there was different awards to pay different people. Like Japanese got paid this and yeah, yeah. Malay got paid this and da 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 And there was nothing for Aboriginal people. Yeah. And so here's a guy in his probably late 20s or something suddenly trying to reconcile in his own mind how does he pay his crew when they're all Aboriginal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And and uh, and he talks quite interestingly about it. Um, and so he just paid them like, as he would pay anybody else. But, of course... Um, so that know, wasn't done at the time. No, 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 no. But even our family was looked down upon by Br- the, the kind of the white society of Broome at the time because there was still this very structured society of Broome. Broome was mm. still operating behind its common gate, so Aboriginal people weren't even yeah. allowed here. Like at you, night they had to go out. Yeah, and, yeah. You yeah. had to have a permit and all this kind of crap. I mean, wow. and so for a white family to actually live outside of the town boundaries uh-huh. and, and live with Aboriginal people and all the rest was actually, that was very much frowned upon. Mm. Um, well, quietly frowned upon anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's quite interesting now because people go, oh, wow, you guys had a really great relationship with, with these people. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, and that wasn't the norm. You're right. Mm. So I actually, I, I'm thankful now that my, you know, my grandfather and my, my family kind of bucked the trend because otherwise mm. I'd be sitting here going, yeah, well, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, that, was the, that was the sort of environment that I ended up kind of, I suppose, uh, being born into was this wonderful little community kind of, you know, connected by road by the time I came along, but prior to that, obviously not. Mm. And most of the people out there obviously still being um, being uh, Bardi or Jawi people and, you know, and, the, and, and you know, my the last generation sort of striving to create a village. So, you know, they built houses for everybody and, you know, so there were families there and we had, you know, we had a store and we had a tennis court and a school and all this kind of... We had a public school, so, you know, it was a very much a little community. And, and, it, and it went, it worked? Well, yeah, it did for the time. But, I mean, even then in my childhood, you know, average, it was before Native Title... Um, mm. It was just after the national referendum, so you know, like I came away around in '78. Um, so you know, it's been this kind of roller coaster for for yeah. Aboriginal people, and of course, sort of we've uh, you know we've we've witnessed that in close quarters for a long, long time. And I mean, we and we and it's still part of every day, my everyday life is is kind of trying to come to terms with what what should that relationship look like now? Because your family. Are going to, you know, they're impervious to all these things that they've had to go through. Yeah, yeah. In a way, like just by virtue of not being Aboriginal. 
Yeah, well, that's right. Title, yeah, yeah, that's right. All, all that, but, mm. uh, but, but yet, mm. my oldest friends are, are those children, yeah. and mm. uh, you know, now they, you know, now they're having to create what native title represents for, and how their people yeah, actually yeah. get some type of, you know, equity and so on. So it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, but my childhood was, you know, there wasn't ever a sense of that. There wasn't even a sense that I looked different to the rest of the kids. You know, mm. like. And I quite remember, distinctively remember standing in front of a mirror when I was in Scotch College, obviously probably in year eight, you know, the first year I was down there, so looking at my reflection just kind of spinning out, you know, like, this is weird because we didn't know, you know, you wouldn't, wouldn't have looked yourself in the mirror in the bush, right? No, no. And yeah, of course, right. when most of the people surrounding you are actually Aboriginal, you sort of, as a child slant on the world, you sort of think that that's the norm. Yeah, that's that's wild, isn't it? You mm. suddenly see yourself in the mirror, and you're like, you're sort of white, and you. Yeah. But then you're also in the context of your your uh, you know white people. Down well, south. down in Perth, it was very really t- difficult for me to come to terms with that. And, and I mean, I thought I was having fun and just having a bit of adventure. But when I reflect back now, it was really challenging for my kind of you know mentally to transition. I didn't really. I didn't yeah. easily fit into a, a white kind of, you know, rich children's kind of way of communicating. Yeah. And so I was this odd one out, which is hence the reason why I teamed up with this crazy guy from Kananara and, yeah. you know, all these other sort of quirky people. And we did, you know, we were the, we were the weird ones. But, um, yeah. but yeah, and then, I mean, when I reflect back on my childhood, I mean, very, very rarely was, was I even aware that maybe there was some difference between me and, you know, everybody else. And, and, thinking back on it there would be few times so when you go spearing uh you're normally just sort of wading through the shallows but every now and then you've got to kind of swim across a deep deep area to get to another spot right mm. and i remember a couple of times terry's dad who's also a terry um mm. you would you know you, you would swim in a group mm. right like so you, you clump together the kids or everyone just everyone yeah. yeah so when you're swimming with a spear you're kind of doing this and you did it so instead of swimming one by one you know Potentially mm. picked off by a croc, mm. you, you swim in a tight clump, <laughs> yeah. so you look like a you know like a big big thing. Mm. And uh, and every now and then he would actually kind of position me in the middle. Oh wow! Because having a white thing on the outside, it'd be like having a albino kind of thing running with the herd, or in a you know like you, you stand out. You're actually endangering it. Wow. You're endangering everybody. Yeah. You're drawing <laughs> because, attention because suddenly them. it's like oh that's not one big thing. That's actually I can see now that you're you know that that uh, I have a crack. Um, wow. And he never explained that. Um, <laughs> Is that but, something you figured out in hindsight? Just yeah, you know? years and years yeah. later. Yeah, and wow. um, yeah, so very few times, and um, yeah, like you know the the. Uh, the people were just amazing. I mean, you know, there wasn't easy access to uh, to town. We very rarely came to town because yeah. the road was shit. Yeah. Right? So it would take us hours. I remember if we did have to come to town, mum would literally pack enough stores in the car. If you broke down, you might have to be waiting for days for someone to come by, you know. So, um, you know, we, we didn't come to town very often at all. And so the place was kind of shielded from even then, like the impact of alcohol or, you know, anything right. else like that. Mm. So we, we, we kind of had this very kind of, I think, a very kind of unusual sort of, mm. you know, um, community at the time. It, I, I'd like to think it still is unique, and it is. Uh, we're just getting more and more attached. Everything's closer these days, yeah. right? I mean, Broome is already sort of the most isolated township, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then you guys are even further yeah, yeah. out there. And so do you, 
Well, so your kids are, are sort of following the same thing. They're they're involved with people local, oh, local yeah. people, and yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's hard to even compare that to. It's so different. Well, we didn't have. I mean, we didn't even have. I mean, when I was their age, we didn't have twenty-four hour power. We didn't have telephones. You know, I remember. I remember when we got the ABC and the first TV kind of put through, put on. Right, yeah. like that was in my in your memory. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was just a very unusual kind of point in time. But I think my kids have actually got like I'd like to think they've got these huge opportunities that I didn't have now like in that space now though because you know. Uh, they are starting to understand um, native title and yeah, yeah, you know what what that actually means. No one explained it to me. No, no one no. sat me down and said, "Well, you know, this is actually the Bardi tribe, and thirty kilometres down the coast, you've actually got another one." And da, da, da. you don't Aboriginals don't do that. You learn no. by, by you know that we we're talking about before. You learn by just living it and then going through law and then the, whatever else it is, you know. Yeah. But now our kids kind of understand that. So you know we we yeah. We, it's constantly changing. I'd like to think it was a, an opportunity more than something else. Yeah, yeah. And so you, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Where do we go from here, well, Dan? Yeah, that, that's probably that's probably all we need to do. But um, you know, you, you you still got the same uh, concerns as a parent in a lot of ways too. You still have to deal with the sleepless mm. nights. You still have to deal as we began with. You know. Yeah, totally. You still got to do something with them. You got. I mean, I suppose you've just got more space to send them off into. Look, you know, I remember my wife and I early on kind of talking about it and just sort of saying, listen, if what does success look like? And, mm. and for us, it was, it was actually having uh, happy and confident kids, you know, and, and people. Mm. Like, so if, you, if we were to raise our kids and they ended up being confident and, you know, and mentally more happy than not, I think, I think I would still be really, really happy with that as yeah, an outcome. Yeah. For sure, because um, you know I I am terrified of my kids ending up bloody, you know, being addicted to bloody ice or something else like that, and and mm. and, and just t- t- completely being derailed, you know. Yeah. And and there's different stages of that through life. I mean, for some reason, early on, one of the things that used to wake me up at night was this reoccurring dream about my kids drowning, mm. which is very strange considering I'm a diver, right? Mm. Um, but uh, that was just a recurring drive, and I'm sure there's something more meaningful than that in there. But as, you know, like for the years, I would wake up sort of in sweats or jumping out of bed, running somewhere, and, and only to, you know, yeah. Um, and it only gets more and more complex. So, you know, they're challenging when they're babies and infants because it's 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 no sleep and it's just constant yeah. and da 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 da. But then, you know, as they get older. Some things get easier, and then other things get so much more challenging. Like dealing with a teenager, you know, yeah. going through puberty and da 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 da, and you know, sort of then it becoming very tangible that only in a few short years they're going to be, you know, driving a car and doing all these other things and drinking alcohol and God knows whatever all the other mm. naughty things we did. Mm. Um, that to me is that's a very hard one when you look at the things you did. Yeah, and, and and every <laughs> single parent, just about unless you were really really tame. Yeah, I I go well. I I've got to assume they're going to do what I did, or they could at least do that, and yeah. and then which just fills me with, with horror. Right, exactly. Because I'm sure we did worse than our parents. So what we're hoping for though is that they'll. I don't as such want them not to do all those frightening things, but I do. What worries me is that them having the resilience to get to to yeah. get 
to, to see it and, and for what it is and get past it and all that. And mm. we can't, there's, there's so little we can do about about all of that. It seems to me that your big challenge is that the, the, the huge world that's on the other side of this desert. Totally. And, and terrifying and how world. to, you know, and how to not frighten them too much and also like introduce them to it gradually enough mm. and give them the resilience yeah. to maybe, I mean, maybe we need these middle middle ground tech people to come in here and help. I, I, I think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that that whole know. idea of, um, you know, the, the many fathers kind of idea. That's a good One thing. One of them being yeah. there. That's a good thing. I think we've all, you know, you, on some levels, what the, what, you're, what the kids are getting from the upbringing with you guys out there is stuff that we all desperately want our kids to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. get. And then on the other hand, you've got the, the, the concerns that are always there. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. All right. Well, hey, man, thanks so much. No worries. For talking no worries. This is, um, for, for, for whatever, for whatever, that, whatever that's worth, uh, you know, may, may everybody... Um, uh, Take take something from it, and yeah, you know, I, I yeah, it's 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 one of those things. I think what we all need to do is actually probably try and stop for a little while and just actually appreciate being a parent rather than worrying right. about it. That's what I'm trying to trying to do. You know, I'm you know? so at the other end of I'm so filled with sort of fear. And I know, and it's blinding. Yeah, but it's but yet, if you just if we if we actually just stopped and did more things with our kids. And stop worrying. Uh, you know, we'd probably all be in a better place. So I really try and sp- and, and lock that stuff in now. Like, so I, my oldest boy, we do a lot of spear fishing now, which mm. is inherently dangerous, mm. especially off broom. <laughs> um, but I, I want him to to uh, I want him to be approached by that shark at some point, and mm. I want him to experience extreme fear uh, in an environment that I'm kind of comfortable in. But we have to be fearless, don't we? You know, well, to some, we have to deal with our fear for them. Yeah, right? That's like, right, you know. Yeah. And and those, but those times that you can share that, if you can share that time when you're you're both scared, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like that's great, right? So yeah. so like so for me, it's surfing and 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 spending time in the water. That's that's my. They're, the, they're the foundational relationship things, aren't, aren't yeah. they? You know, it's usually when things go wrong where you really forge strong bonds. Yeah. People love people wartime. Yeah. You know, like I've heard people talk about the Second World War. It was someone. Some old person was talking out saying it was, it was the greatest time ever because it was the biggest adventure. It was horrible. Mm. It was really, really horrible. But in a way, it was so defining and they mm. had such so focus and purpose yeah. that it was, it was the greatest time. Really, I, you know? I, look, I reckon that there's a lot of that. And I think it's my, it's my grandfather's story, right? Mm. The whole world is kind of struggling with this with this 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 war that's just all encompassing and then suddenly you come out of that it's like anything's possible you know mm. and i mean I, I don't want to actually carry on too much but mm. you know my father's relationship with his father was almost non-existent he was mm. pretty much raised by his mum mm. and even now so many years after my my grandfather's passed away it's he still struggles to talk about his relationship with his dad yeah he actually, i think he genuinely resents him mm. And he only probably came to Signet Bay as a very, very young guy to try and spend some time with his dad, right? Mm. Which, of course, has then dragged us all down this kind of journey of whatever now. It's become multi-generational, right? Mm. But he was a fantastic father. Yeah. And had no involvement from his father. Right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and so, uh, and he was a very busy father. And But the the, the time we had together, I think he he used well. and, And I don't think he thought too much about it. Yeah, isn't that funny too? Not mm. thinking, this, this is where those parameters help people. Yeah, you know? like like for example, 
the natural world up here, coming up against it, having to survive, having to. It, there's these external forces which allow you to just yeah forget about all this decision making. Mm. I'm trying also to remember with my kids, to, like when I when I get so caught up in all this stuff, I have these uh, these beautiful but awful moments where I look at him, Sammy in particular. Um, Luna's very easy in a lot of ways now because she's so little, but and and I and I and I have this love for him. I, I mm. look at him and go. Oh my God. And it's, and it, but then I also realized that I haven't been acknowledging that for, mm. for, for, for the whole day or whatever. And then there's this moment I go, Oh God, I've got to just remember this and, and see this rather yeah. than all these problems to solve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if I can try and do that a bit more and mm. see that, as you say, like about being, appreciate being a parent. Yeah. And yeah. What, what, what they're doing for us and teaching us. Yeah. And yeah. Then, I, I think that's the thing, right? If we actually just stop worrying about it. And mm. just be, you know, be the person that uh, that we would normally be. Mm. That's probably the best way to parent your child. Yeah, because to be, be there with them, whatever right. it is, you know, be, be the best uh, musician that you can be, uh, in, in, uh, or be the best bloody hunter if that's what it is you are, or mm. be whatever the hell it is that you are. Because I mean, my parents were just so flat out trying to actually pull this business together and all the rest of it, like living in the middle of nowhere. But I, I only reflect positively on that, yeah. you know, and, and so part of me is sitting there going, you know, I, 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 te I tear myself up about, you know, yeah, I spend a lot of time working and doing all these other things as well. And, but I, the time I do spend with my kids, I actually try and spend it with them doing something rather than with them worrying about them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because if you, if, if, the t if, if, if all they pick up from you is worry yeah. and fear. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's better for them to be spearfishing yeah, totally. and learning those things than, than just 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 getting this modelled pattern of of worry. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, but, it's such a it's it's so simple and so and difficult. I, th I think that's the I think that's the the inevitable kind of lesson in life, isn't it? It is the simple stuff, right? Mm. And well, I hope so anyway. And mm. uh, you know, again, when you draw, you just draw on the people that you see around you that you think are actually doing a good job at it. And, and for me, that's that kind of Robin and Bindi sort of story, you know, with their kids and 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 right. you know, the yeah. the way that they do it. It is, you know, kids. None of us need a fancy shit in life. Like, no, no. You look. Yeah, it's not what it, you remember, right? No, and that's what I love about up here too. That, what you were saying much earlier was about the space thing just helps. Yeah. There's space to have conversations like this. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. There's space to observe other people. Mm. You just There's so much background noise in the city or, mm. or peripheral noise. It's so hard to even sort out what what you're, what's, what's coming in and out of you. Yeah. When none of us are watching TV up here. I mean, there's, there's either no TVs or we just don't, it doesn't even occur to us. Mm -hmm. So... There's space to just mm. feel it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's hard, yeah. So amongst yeah. all the worry, uh, that's my message to everybody is, you know what, just uh, just make sure you take the time to enjoy the ride and everything's yeah. probably going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> just calm the fuck down. Everyone, I mean, look at the world, just calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an asshole. <laughs> oh, that guy said this, he must be this, he must be that. You. This equates to this, mm. all that kind of... Like yeah. shouting it's like come on just calm down mm. alright man cool Thanks man a lot. that was beautiful thanks Cheers. guys see ya, see ya.
Awesome Podcast was recorded at Castaway Studios in Collingwood. Here, we provide affordable, accessible, professional podcasting production facilities to the full range of podcasters, all the way from basic studio hire right through to full season production packages. You can get us on castawaycollingwood at gmail.com or just look up Castaway Studios on all the social medias. 